to Bibby, has the open shot. Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the NBC Sports California King's Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, one of my all-time favorite people in the business, my good friend Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, what's going on? Well, uh, not a lot, James. It's great to be with you, though. I always uh, enjoy uh, listening to you and talking to you, obviously. I uh, always get some good insights. Yeah, we did the car cast a couple of times last year, driving to and from the Bay Area. That was fun. Yeah, that was uh, exciting in one case, or I think we were in the middle of a storm. <laughs> That's right. We did get caught. So, That's right. I was going to say, you showed a lot, of, a lot of talent being able to drive at 75 mile an hour and 20 mile. 25, 30 mile wind gusts and rain and sleet. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, remember it well. I, I've got a big car. I, uh, I I have sort of three three variations of cars. I've got a Mini Cooper convertible. I've got a Corolla, so the midsize, and then I have a giant Suburban. And that day, I had read the weather report, and I said, you know what? I got Jerry with me. I'm not gonna drive the Corolla and risk us, you know getting run over yeah, by somebody I, in the storm. I was very thankful for uh, being in the t- pretty much a tank, actually, uh, it seemed like. Uh, that was a big a big rascal there, but it uh, definitely fought the elements very well. It did. It fought the elements. Even the, the wind even lifted up. You could feel it lifting up the Suburban as we were driving. So, Jerry, another king season is upon us. This is year 33 for you for the with the franchise. Uh, how excited are you to, to kick this one off? Because... It really does feel like uh, new, fresh, everything's kind of different, um, young players all over the place, and just kind of a dramatic shift in franchise sort of path. Yeah, that it is exciting for for that reason, uh, maybe more than any, is just uh, the, the newness of everything. I, I thought uh, that the second part of the season, you know, uh, enjoyed uh, the camaraderie with the team and you know they seemed to really like one another and played hard and it was fun to watch for the most part and and you know going into this year then an even more of a changeover and of course uh it's been great just being around this coaching staff the front office seems uh, settled now and you know they've got added new people and everybody seems to be on the same page and then you know and then as you said then you bring in a Whole, whole new bunch of young guys in addition to the young guys that the team had and so it's 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 exciting in the sense that you just don't know quite honestly how it's going to play out and that makes it uh, a little bit more exciting you know that some of these young players are going to prove to be better than you thought some of them will be uh, not nearly as good as you thought or hoped so but that has yet to be determined you know jerry you talked about the front office and they added new pieces. Um, you've had every role with this franchise possible. I mean, the only thing you didn't do is step foot on the floor and play, although you did collapse one time on the court in the middle of a game, so you did get some court time. Um, but this is 
Is it strange for you to see how a front office is built now where there's like 37 people and you were like, man, I, I've got to write checks to pay the players and stuff. I mean, just the way that it's adapted. Yeah, it, it's so different that, that I really don't have, you know, any great insight into it in that sense. Like you say, I mean, it used to be a front office was maybe two people and a part-time secretary. And uh, it's, it's kind of like coaching. You know, I coached, you had one assistant coach and maybe a part-time advanced scout. Uh, and so, uh, and one trainer, that was your staff, that was your staff <laughs> in addition to the, the players. So, you know, it's a whole new world where you have five, six assistant coaches and six, seven, eight people in the, in the front office, not counting some of the advanced scouts and part-time scouts and things of that nature. So it, it's so different. And, and obviously it, it, it gives, uh, you know, you, you know, people a chance to, I think, do a better job, but it, it, it's also a, a lot of hiring the right people and getting them in the right places. It's almost like a coach where you, you have to utilize your personnel uh, very well uh, to have success. And so, so it, it's been a process with the Kings uh, and, you know, and I think with Vladi as a, as a rookie to, to me, some years ago, I mean, I think he's uh, made some very, very good hires, uh, certainly recently, uh, certainly Scott Perry, and then now Brandon Williams, uh, Ken Cantonella, Mike Brotz. I mean, of course, Pagia is, uh, I think, just getting better and better each year as he's learning what's, what's necessary. So, so there's a, yeah, it's a work in progress, but it uh, seems to be heading the right direction. You know, Jerry, we've talked about this before because of last season where the Kings had four rookies, but they sort of outdid themselves this year. But you were around when the Kings traded a bunch of players and, and then went into a draft and Lionel Simmons, Travis Mays, Anthony Bonner, Dwayne Coswell, four first-round draft picks in one season. Um, of course, Dave Yeager has, you know, like a, a 12-man staff now to help bring some of these young players along. But how difficult is it? And what is the most difficult part of bringing in so many young players at one time? Is it just the maturity level? Although when you did this, uh, you know, the players were more, they, they were older players. They weren't, you know, the league didn't allow first year players at that point. Right. And now you're right. looking at like 19 year olds. They've got two 19 year olds, uh, you know, like a twenty, uh, twenty-two-year-old and twenty-three-year-old. So some more mature players, but you know they've got five rookies. And I guess what presents the biggest challenge? Well, I think with uh, when you've got rookies, uh, regardless of age, and I will say you, you're 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 correct. I mean, today's game when it's nineteen or twenty years old, I mean they're even less prepared now. That now the truth is, back then when they were twenty-two years old, well they were they were rookies in a league where the other rookies were 22 year old as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's somewhat of a sameness, but, but I think it's, 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 it's so difficult because now these guys have been outstanding college players at 18, 19 years old, and, and they've known nothing but success from AAU to high school, the college, a brief time in college. And they think it's going to be the, the sameness. So I'll just jump in there and, kick butt and it's always a, a jolt to those guys when they find out it's like oops these guys are a lot better than i thought uh, it's going to be tougher uh and have setbacks now not all do some some just are able to you know 
make the, make the uh, jump seamlessly, but not very many. And and so that that to me that's always an issue is trying to keep guys working hard, confident, uh, trying to develop as they've lost a little confidence. You know, you got to keep their confidence up for the first time, maybe in their careers. So I guess my biggest fear with a young team, in addition to, you know, them trying to adapt to, I mean, just even the basics of going from a 30-something game college season to an 82-game NBA season and all of a sudden becoming a professional versus, be, you know, becoming a student and a professional. Although I think being a student right now in the NCAA is, is a joke. I don't even know why they call them student-athletes because most of these guys... Yeah, they're athlete students, if anything. Yeah. Uh, you're right. I mean, that's that's for another time but uh yeah yeah so that that i guess my question is how difficult is it to take again the kings have you know basically the the cast of blue chips i mean they've got a kentucky they got a kansas they got a duke they've got a north carolina they've got a world champion in bogdan uh bogdan mcdonovich how difficult is it to teach a young player how to play a role and buy in and be part of something that is a, a real culture shock for them where they're going from the man to, you know, not the man to maybe not even playing and, you know, fighting, scrapping for minutes at the end of a bench? Well, it's really difficult, I think. I think it's really going to be a tremendous challenge for Coach Edgar and his staff. I I mean, because of just everything you said, I mean, you get these guys that basically have had things their way pretty much their whole careers. I even though it's been short careers because they're so young, but uh, and basically a little bit entitled uh, to all of a sudden it's like, uh, no, you have to fit in uh, with your teammates. Your teammates don't have to fit in with you. It's a whole different mindset. And uh, some adjust can adjust to it uh, pretty well, and some can't. And then, of course, as years go, you—that's why some guys uh, you don't see in the league anymore. They can't adjust to being <laughs> a role a role player when that, that's what they're going to need to be, or to, to and and others, uh, you know, can adjust to that. I mean, there's there's those rare ones that don't have to make any adjustments at all that they're good enough to just keep doing what they're doing. But that's uh, that's you know one out of probably. 25 first round picks might might be fortunate enough to to do that and so yeah the key and i think that's part of the reason where with uh, Vladi wanted some uh, more veterans on the team you know to kind of you know help in those areas and kind of remind the players of of what they're going to go through because uh those guys went through it i mean uh certainly vince carter when he came to the league he was a star right away but Zach Randolph and George Hill certainly weren't. Garrett Temples had the battle at Costa Cufas, uh, battle just to get playing time early on in their career. So, so I, I think that uh, you know gives gives those guys uh, at least if they want to do a little background, they'll realize that most of those guys were big names like them coming out of college and high picks, and, and uh, you know, and, and they had their struggles. So it it should be a nice so. Uh, lesson out there for them if they want to if they want to learn from it you know jerry we've got to see a couple of preseason games and preseason you know we're five games in but i i think there are a couple of issues with this specific preseason number one um it came way earlier than normal because training camp uh 
you know, is condensed because the NBA moved the season back 10 days. So it's really kind of put Dave Yeager. This was the the last thing Dave Dave Yeager needed. He he's got a a really a brand new roster. I mean, I think it's ten if you count the two two way players. It's ten new rostered players. He only has a handful of holdovers from last year. Um, but when you look at the condensed preseason, the condensed training camp, can you really take anything away from what we're seeing, or is this just? You know, he's trying to throw stuff up on the wall and see what sticks and, and give himself like a rough idea. And then we're going to let, you know, the first 10 games and the first 20 games, you know, he'll be tinkering. Well, I think that's exactly it. I, I just don't think uh, you could make, you know, make much out of the preseason. I mean, you, you know, certainly you can see little bits and pieces of things that you want to see. I mean, certainly De'Aaron Fox and the small amount he played was I think quite impressive, but mm-hmm. you still you don't you haven't seen enough, and uh, you know Frank Mason he's been a tough little buckaroo right right from get go and and all that so you've seen bits and pieces but but I totally agree with you I mean I don't think we're going to know much about this team or Dave will know enough about his team and and who needs to play and what he can expect you're probably going to be twenty game twenty games into the season. I think normally, you know, as you said, I I would normally say, you know, about 10 games in, you should pretty well know uh, how this thing may play out or have a pretty good idea. Now, it's always changeable, the injuries and different things, but but I I think it's going to be more of a process. I I think, uh, you know, probably 20 games, you know, you'll have some idea just what this team can be or where it may go. Uh, and and Dave will have a pretty good idea at that time. It's like which rookies really uh, can he depend on, and and uh, figures that they will continue to get better and that sort of thing. So it, it's definitely going to be a working pro- process. You you talked about De'Aaron Fox there, and I you've watched the game for for decades. I mean, you're a basketball junkie. This is what you do. Um, who does he remind you of? Who who have you seen throughout your years that he really kind of you know makes you think? Hey, I, I can see that in him because for me, it he's probably one of the more difficult comparisons. I mean, everyone says John Wall because of the speed, but I actually think he's he's faster than John Wall, and he doesn't have the the pure strength of John Wall. So I'm can you know again, I'm kind of perplexed with going back through my thought process of who he reminds me of as a player, but do you have anyone? Well, you know, that, that that's a, a great thought. I mean, I, I think he, he does have a little bit of John, just his speed, you know, you think in terms of, but, uh, mm-hmm. and quickness, but, uh, physically doesn't quite, uh, remind you that much. And John, even though he's not a good shooter, is a better shooter than De'Aaron at the same stage. Uh, so that's a, I, I see a little bit of a little bit of Mike Connolly uh, now. Uh, Mike wasn't when he came in the league was more of a playmaker than De'Aaron, but but not a, but not nearly the playmaker that he is today, and and he wasn't really a good deep shooter, which he is now, you know. So and that's what you're hoping, <laughs> you yeah, know. I mean, definitely. and and Connolly has the you know the the transition ability to 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 beat people in the open court and create numbers and and uh, fox has that now fox in my mind is you know it's faster and quicker than Conley and 
and uh, probably further ahead at the same age defensively. Uh, I think that's that's where he's, to me, ahead of uh, John Wall as well. Defensively, he's got the instincts that are outstanding, it seems to me. But, uh, you know, we'll just have to see. You know, I mean, I, I think that's the thing you have to, to really be patient with. We don't know where this is going to go, uh, but if he can continue to work on his game, and I think sometimes people – you know, forget that some of these guys come in the league with, with uh, holes in their game and they, they fill them up. You know, they, they learn to shoot. They learn to, to, to make better decisions and become better at certain areas. And I don't see any reason why with what we know of, of the Aaron with his work ethic and his attitude and intelligence that, that most of what he can't do well right now, uh, you know, the, the, what he can't do well are fundamental things that can be taught and learned. And so that that's why that would be encouraging to me. Because I've always said, you know, James, I mean, you can't make somebody uh, run faster. Uh, <laughs> they're very difficult, <laughs> you know. I mean, so he already has the God-given things, and, and that's what you can't teach. But uh, the fundamentals you can. It doesn't mean everybody can learn them, but, but you can teach them. You know, uh, you, you brought up Frank Mason as well, and for me – He's a little bit of a throwback because he comes into the league knowing exactly who he is. And, you know, he has been, I think he's been the most consistent, not just the most consistent uh, rookie, but he might have been the most consistent king throughout all of preseason so far. And how do you, I mean, this is, you know, the Naismith player of the year. He's He's got all these accolades and he may not play. There will be stretches. Of course, George Hill's already you know, got a groin strain or whatever. We we don't quite know what it is yet. It hasn't been diagnosed, but he tweaked his groin in the Clippers game. So maybe there will be an opening here for, for Frank Mason. But, um, you know, what does he bring to the table as far as maturity and just a, a rock-solid player you can drop out there and just let go? You know, the thing about Frank, I mean, it struck me. I mean, he just looks like a comfortable NBA player today. You know, now he played longer in college and, of course, was the leader on a quality team for several years. And, uh, you know, he, he just looks like, well, this is this is what I do. And, uh, I mean, obviously the game is a little faster, a little more talented at this level. But, but his adjustment has, has been pretty easy, it seems to me. Like, I, I think Frank's going to one of those guys who will find a way to play. I, I don't know if you can keep him off the floor uh, all year. I mean, I think he'll find a way to get out there. I mean, he's a he's a natural leader, and uh, you can't teach that. You know, he's always been that. And I, I think the thing that has surprised me, that his ability to get places on the court. I mean, he's not the quickest and fastest small guy, but he's, his strength kind of makes up for it. A little bit of the Bobby Jackson ability to break people down, you know, not necessarily with speed and quickness, but uh, sometimes just uh, – kind of go through guys because he's extra strong for his size and uh but uh i think he's really been a bright spot i mean i think he's a lot more prepared to play than from what i've seen than i thought he would be yeah i definitely see that as well uh now jerry i I don't want to go through all of these players and it feels like i always leave out uh, a couple of them but the guy who, uh, he's a mystery man right now for the Sacramento Kings. Have you got to see Harry Giles behind the scenes? Have you got to, you know, watch his athleticism and, you know, and 
the Kings are taking an interesting approach to him. Um, it's something that they have the luxury of doing, uh, trying to bring him along slowly and shutting him down until January. But what do you see in Harry Giles? And you know, you've seen players come through the league time and time again with this type of skill level, but you always have to, in the back of your mind, think, you know, how long does he have with his knees and you know his history? Um, how much? How many years can he hold up? And you know, those are going to be the question marks he's going to have to answer. Well, they are. I mean, I fortunately I was able to watch a couple of practices where he actually played quite a bit and he scrimmaged, and I thought he looked terrific, James. Yeah. I mean, the game looks easy for him to me. You know, I think honestly, uh, from a, just a potential level, if he stays healthy, I mean, he, his potential may be higher than anybody on the roster. And uh, but there there are those buts and ifs, you know, and. Uh, and and we can say whatever we want to say about that, but you know he's got to find a way to stay healthy. I, I like the approach the Kings are taking, uh, to be honest. Uh, if 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 it in any way can help him totally uh, get rehabilitated and confident of his game and less likely to be hurt going forward, then I think it's a good move. Uh, but the kid, uh, kid's got a game. He, he you know if there's a reason and I remember watching him in a high school All America type game and. You know, he was almost remind me a lot of Chris Weber and some of the things he could do. He was not nearly as physical player, but you know, the game was easy for him. I guess would be the way I'd put it: good hands, good instincts, and all, and quick jumper, that that sort of thing. That uh, that was before all the some the, the the knee stuff or more more of the knee stuff. But so uh, he uh, he could be the. You know, I mean, he could be a difference maker in in many ways, but obviously that's a there's so many steps before that could happen. So, you know, you just have to hope and pray for him that that it all he does get a chance to to play to his potential. I mean, because we are aware of the <clears throat> you know the Greg Odens of the world that just uh, you know we're never able to 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 get through injuries and things, and and we don't know yet about Embiid. You know, obviously he's great when he plays, but he hasn't been able to play any length of time. So, so that's, you know, that's where I, I, I don't know that, you know, his injuries are the same or anything, but at some point when guys, you just, uh, you, you know, being really good doesn't mean much if you're not available. And that's, that's where, where he is still going forward. I think got to, got to get completely healthy and get on the court. And if he gets on the court, and healthy, I, I think the rest of the questions will be solved very quickly. I would agree with you 100%. I mean, I, I can't wait to see him because I, I have got to see snippets of him as well. And just you're overwhelmed with his ability, his his God-gifted ability. And you mentioned Chris Weber. Peja Stojakovic also compared him to Chris Weber. That's who he said that the team really feels like, you know, that they see in him just his natural fill, his fluidity. Uh, his giant hands, his willingness to pass. So I think, you know, the sky's the limit, but uh, also you just never know. Like, you never know with a guy with the type of knee injuries that he's had. So uh, fingers are crossed on him. Now, Jerry, before I let you go, uh, you know, we talked about this is year 33. Uh, how much do you cherish these, you know, the start of a season, you know, getting together with Grant Napier and, and beginning this journey, knowing that you really don't have any idea of, you know, how this season's going to go, 
how long you're going to keep doing this, but, you know, enjoying it and taking it day by day and, you know, loving what you do. Well, that's a great, great point. That, that's exactly where you look at it. I, I just look forward to it because I love basketball and <clears throat> obviously getting to work with Grant's great because he's one of the very best and it makes my job easy. The TV crew is terrific. And, uh, you know, from my standpoint, I just, uh, you know, look forward to each year on its own and, 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 and the new team and new players and, and the excitement that they'll bring. And, and, and again, the, the mystery of it all, we don't know how it's going to play out and there'll be things that go much better than we think and things that'll be much worse, but that's all part of the, the excitement. That's life really. And, uh, as far as me, just as long as I enjoy it and, and health wise, I can do it. I, I still, still want to do it. I, and I know that the, you know, that I've more than rounded uh, third base in this business and maybe ready to slide into home at any time. But uh, it's, uh, I have to say, year 33 uh, pretty much is like year one, as far as I'm concerned. It, you know, the, I still get excited, uh, you know, watching preseason basketball at times. Uh, although, and certainly I really get excited watching regular NBA basketball. I can't wait for the season to start. So I guess that's where I am. Uh, not much has changed other than I'm just a, getting older and dirt, but I still enjoy the game. <laughs> All right. Well, Jerry, you're uh, a beloved figure around Sacramento. You know that. Uh, but again, I cherish the moments that I get to spend time with you. And uh, I hope that there's many, many more. Well, I hope so too. I, I was going to say, I think I, I know I learned more from you than you learned from me. So, <laughs> it, so it's good for both of us. That's right. All right, that is the incredible Jerry Reynolds. We'll be back. Welcome back to the NBC Sports Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, as always, Mr. Doug Christie, former Sacramento Kings great. DC, what's going on, man? What it do, what it do, what it do, Ham? Just another day, man, just another day. I- I'm hiding out in my car. You're in your car. We're car casting, just not in the car together. You know, it's one of those days. Uh, yeah, oh, you're hiding out. I'm not hiding in my car. Uh, you're hiding in your car. I'm just <laughs> rolling, man. It's all good. So this is like a uh, a half com a half car cast, half car cast equals a whole cast. That's right. That's right. So yeah, I'm hiding out in my car because uh, the construction is loud at my house today. We're we're getting close, Doug, but the construction is up in my business. So. Ah uh, man, I understood. Understood. All right, so hey, we got a ton of ground to cover here. Uh, the Sacramento Kings are sort of finishing up their preseason schedule. Uh, they've got two games left. They're going to play Thursday night and Friday night. The podcast is coming out on Friday, um, but we're not going to have either one of those games covered in the podcast because, in all actuality, Doug, it's preseason and it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah, the preseason, not so much. You know, you, you're going to. Coaches like Coach Edgar is filling out a lot of guys, a lot of youth, uh, and you got to figure out what is going to be your rotation, how deep are you going to go. So, yeah, not too much weight on the preseason. Yeah, talking to Jaeger, what he keeps saying is that, look, I've got so many young players that need some playing time, and I also have all of these these competitions going on, and I need to let those play out as well. And so he's saying, like, look, the reason why I keep playing the young guys one game and the veterans another game is I'm just trying to give everyone equal amount of time early in preseason. Uh, and then once we get going full bore, 
you know, then I'll have to make some adjustments on who's playing and who's not. Are you comfortable with the way that he's handled this with, you know, again, five, six veterans sitting one game and then the next game, you know, it's just everyone's playing, the rotation gets tighter? You know, actually, I think it's brilliant what he's doing because when you look at the veterans, they already know what to expect. They need to get a little rhythm. Yes, they do. And that's pretty much what Coach has given them, a little rhythm. There is more to the fact that you have second- and third-year players like Scal, like Willie Colley-Stein, like Papianis, uh, now with Malachi Richardson, that you got to start figuring out what they're going to do and who they're going to be and can you depend on them. Then you add to that the rookies. And boy, oh boy, you got a, a mix of guys that have to get minutes. You have to put them in position. Uh, you have to see, can they start, uh, you know, like Buddy Heald? Are you going to start him? Are you going to bring him off the bench? Uh, he's still going to get the same amount of minutes, still get the same amount of shots. But does that do anything to his psyche? There's so many different things that I, I think uh, Coach is smart by allowing his veterans to get a little run, putting them on the side, and allowing these young guys to figure some things out. Yeah, I think so, too. There are players like Frank Mason the third, and there are guys like Justin Jackson and Malachi. You just don't know what their role is going to be once the season starts. And so you need to let them get a taste of what's coming and, and really let them get some burn during this, this preseason, try to get some confidence. I know Malachi Richardson, for me, is a guy who clearly has lacked some confidence early in preseason, and he struggled, but you see little glimmers of what he can bring. How hard is it for a player, you've been through this, Doug, where you're sitting back and you're looking at at sort of the inevitable of the season coming and you, you can see that there's a really good possibility that you're not going to see major court time. You may not play at all. What is that like as a young player who's coming into the league and you know, you're know you the big man on campus at Pepperdine and now you show up in the NBA and it's like, okay, well, yeah, you're just going to have to sit for a while and watch and learn. Is it humbling? What it, What was your biggest takeaway from it? It freaking sucks, Ham. That's what I took <laughs> away from it, man. Um, no, but you know what? There, there is a you put up or shut up. That's that's kind of the mentality. You know, you yeah, you're humbled. Yeah, you're not playing. But you know what? You hearken back to a time when you were on the playground. And you didn't get picked. I didn't get picked first. I got picked last. And then I moved my way up. And then uh, before you know it, I'm the best at this court. And then I'm the best in my neighborhood. Then I'm the best in the city and the best in the state. And that's the type of uh, mentality you have to take. And coming into the NBA, no, I wasn't getting playing time. You know, there's James Worthy ahead of me and, uh, you know, so many different players that – but do you become a student of the game? I had Herb Williams in New York at the end of the bench who told me a lot of different things as I'm watching uh, John Starks and Hubert Davis, who was drafted with me, playing before me. And did it, did it make me feel some sort of way? Yeah, it did. But then I started coming early and staying late. And in the mornings, I'm getting my weights in. And then I'm running. And then I'm shooting before practice. Then I'm practicing, but I'm not going home. I'm staying after and I'm doing more because this is what I want more than anything. And really, I think that the Kings need to find out who wants it like that because ultimately that's the type of atmosphere that you want. And I hope that it does make players feel some sort of way, and I hope that it pushes them because some people deal with it one way and they pout and they think, you know, become a cancer and, oh, man, you know, and you're talking to everyone in the locker room and on the bench about how you should be getting this. 
and then the other guys shut up and they get in there and they put their work in. So, yeah, it is a humbling experience, uh, Ham, but it is one that I, I personally, I am so glad that I went through as an individual. You know, you brought up an interesting point, the difference with the way that players react to to this situation. And, I mean, I guess you don't really know how you're going to react until you're in it, but how big does that is that as far as like earning the coach's trust uh being the guy that that really you know does get sour over it or or starts to go to his agent and say hey look get me out of here you know how big of a cause and effect is this um really the way that you handle your business you know it is a big cause and effect but even so it's a bigger cause and effect sometimes with how the coach handles it because with these young guys, you got to understand that probably the last time this happened to them, they were uh, adolescents, they were a kid, but do they still have that mindset? And having that mindset is okay if you learn the lesson and say the coach brings you to the side and he says, look, you know, this is something that you got to learn to deal with. These are the things that you got to do. And do you take that and how do you deal with it? And if you deal with it correctly and you deal with it in the right way, then all of a sudden it becomes, it becomes okay. How you doing, buddy? Uh, sorry about that, Ham. Get my coffee, buddy. Uh, uh, no, but you, you deal with it in the right way, and all of a sudden, now the coach begins to trust you, and they they see that you grow as a as an individual, and that's how you build a relationship with the coach, and and you become more than you were when you got there. And I think that. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. I think that a lot of times now we're going to see more of that in the NBA because guys are coming in younger and younger. And with the younger guy comes a younger mentality. And that's where coaching now is probably a lot more psychology than it is X's and O's, in my opinion. Yeah, and it almost seems like with this Kings roster that they have so many young players that if you're the the guy who stands out in a negative way, it could really have a lasting effect on this team. Because a lot of these guys, like I'm watching Frank Mason, and every every opportunity he gets, he's going out there and playing like a seasoned vet. And then you, you know, I I asked Coach Yeager about him following practice on Wednesday, and he said, "Look, the thing with Frank, you know, I really challenged him after the San Antonio game. He's had some of the best days of practice out of anyone, and you know, he goes in so hard. He has so much confidence. He goes up against Damian Lillard." And you see him going right at Lillard and just you know scoring all over a guy who's who's basically an all star, uh, you know at the point guard position. And then you see him go up for a rebound. He's grabbing rebounds. Jaeger said he really reminds him of a running back. You know the way that he grabs a rebound and all of a sudden boom he's bursting out of a crowd and he's making his way down the court at high speed. Um, and he's a guy who seems to be handling it the right way, but at the same time. I mean, Doug, how discouraging is it if, you know, you looked up and there's James Worthy and, you know, all these guys in your position. Uh, He's looking up and he sees George Hill. He sees De'Aaron Fox. You know, he knows that he can't really play another position because, you know, he's 5'10", 5'11". So he's really like, this is my spot. How, How do you deal with that? 
Well, you know what? Uh, first of all, Frank, I, I love everything about Frank, and I, I think he is going to be a fantastic pro for the Sacramento Kings. But when you when you look at a situation like that, Ham, there's different ways that you can handle it. And I give you a couple examples. So I'm on the end of the bench, and Herb Williams is in my ear, uh, and Herb is a great guy, and he has great experiences, and 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 he gives me positive affirmations about the things that he sees of me doing in practice, and 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 hold on, you'll get your time there's no need to to you know some of the brash things that I'm saying to him no you you don't want to do that so that is a positive in my ear now I could have maybe had someone else who said yeah you know what you're right screw that man and that wouldn't have been good so now I fast forward about uh, three years and I'm in Toronto now I'm the veteran and Tracy McGrady comes in and he's not playing and he says the same type of things to me and he wants to go to the press and I have that conversation with him we sit down in, in my condo and we we're just talking and I'm like no that's not how you do it and before you know it it just that's how you pay that information forward and I will say this Vlade and coach Yeager have bought, brought in some fantastic veterans and Vince Carter you got uh, Zebo, you got George Hill you got Garrett Temple you got Costa Cooper's and all of those guys to a man speak to these young men with positive affirmations, and that was brilliant on those guys as leaders of this team, meaning Vlade and Coach Yeager, to bring in those type of guys because you know the information that is disseminated to these guys is positive, which builds a culture that is going to go forward in the right way, Ham, in my opinion. Now, Doug, you talk about being on the other side of it. What is it like for George Hill? What is it like for Zach Randolph, for Vince Carter, to sit there and know that you're you're handing out information to the really the guys who are going to steal your job. They're going to take your minutes and eventually they're going to take your job and you know whether you're still in the league or not, you know, you may not be on that team anymore. I mean, you dealt with this as far as, you know, young guys coming up, Vince and Tracy coming in all of a sudden, you know, they're the face of the franchise. They're what everyone's looking for. And how do you deal with it from the other side because for me, you know, you are you're right. These are great veterans. They're they're seasoned guys who should know what to do. You should know what to say. They should do what Herb Williams Williams did for you, but they might not always do that because they still want to get on the court. They still want to be active and and be part of the the game plan. And it's sort of this this fighting of father time versus you know doing what's right. How how do you balance that? You know, I, I think that part of that is selecting the right veterans that understand who they are, where they're at in their career, what they're being brought in for. That means that now you have to be as Vlade, as Coach Yeager. You have to be specific with your message when you are signing them as a free agent to what you're looking for from them. And I think that all of them to a man understand where they're at, what they're here to do. Yeah, you're going to play, and we want you to play, and we want you to win, but part of what I am signing you for is your knowledge and your ability to pay that knowledge forward. And I don't see in any of them, now time will tell, but I don't see in any of them that there's a resentment about what they're doing and the ability to pay that information forward, even though you've got a young De'Aaron Fox in, in back of you and you got a, a Frank Mason and you got a Justin Jackson and, you know, you got a Scal and a Willie and a, and a Harry Giles that are coming up because these guys are, are confident in who they are, what they bring, their career, and what they've been able to achieve. So in that, I think that gives them solace that, you know, 
I know what I'm here for. I'm going to ball out, but I'm also going to give these guys information. Now, the only thing that will maybe wane that, in my opinion, is if the young guys don't want the information. Now, that's different, but it seems that we got a group of young guys that are totally willing to take the information in, which is a good thing. You know, and I'll point this out, too. I mean, it's the NBA isn't all about money, uh, but it is a little bit about money. Uh, I think a lot of it, you know, and if you look at the five veterans, the lowest paid veteran on this team is at $8 million a year. You're looking at both Costa and and Garrett Temple that are making eight, maybe a little over $8 million a year. I mean, Vince Carter making $8 million a year, uh, 12.5 for Zebo, 19 for for George Hill. I, I think the Kings paid a premium, right, to to buy guys – that maybe they're buying a little bit of that extra end of their career and saying, look, we're going to set you up for the rest of your life here, and we need this from you. We're, we're going to give you enough enough of a contract that you don't need to worry about what, what could have been, what should have been. What you need to think is that I could be playing for a veteran's minimum for a team trying for a championship and get bounced in the second round of the playoffs or have an injury or you know miss out, but... You're, they're giving them long-term security in exchange for this sort of veteran mentality, this buying-in mentality, and this bringing the young players along culture-building mentality, right? Yeah, that, that was me choking on those numbers. Goodness Christ. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I, I didn't make those you numbers either, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it part of it is, in my opinion, is the brilliance of understanding – that type of communication and saying, this is what I'm doing for you. And I need you to reciprocate that for me and this team. And uh, man, well done. Uh, Will it totally work out? That'll be yet to see. But so far I I like what I see with the moves that have been made with paying forward sometimes. And yeah, I I like it. And you're, you're spot on him. All right, so let's touch base on a couple of things that have happened over the last week. Um, we all know that at, at this point that Harry Giles has been shut down. Um, not to like say, I told you so, I told you so, but I was trying to prepare people for this because it was kind of the feeling I was getting around the club anyways, that despite the fact that I watched Harry Giles warm up on the court against the Portland Trailblazers the other night, he had already been shut down until January. And I know a lot of people are confused by this, um, but Doug, they shouldn't be confused. This is a kid who's gone, uh, undergone tremendous trauma to his legs, and the the Kings have done all the research. All the science tells them that to truly heal from an ACL tear, it takes two full years, not one full year, um, and to rush him back onto the court when he already has when he has both torn ACLs in his life already uh, at the age of nineteen. I think it shows me that. The Kings are serious about their investment into Harry Giles. They're also serious about the investment that they made into Zebo and Scalabissier and Willie Cauley-Stein and Costa Kufis. So they're keeping that core together. And they're going to bring this kid along really the right way, uh, maybe the Joel Embiid way. And I even talked to Harry Giles about Embiid. And I said, does this kind of give you a little bit of hope for something that could happen for you, that just because you miss you know, maybe the whole season, maybe the first four months of the season, but you can still bounce back and have a great career and at age 23 get paid $148 million and shock the world. 
Um, but, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm really happy for him. But he also said people don't know what it takes to get back. They don't know how much it hurts you to be away from your team and how much all of that wears on you and how you're letting the team down and you have this huge thing hanging over your your head. Um, you know, Doug, for you, what is that like, that, that injury issue and, and being away and knowing that you're doing what's right for you and your long-term future, but also that, you know, you're trying to balance what it means for everyone else as well? You know, it, it's some of the darkest times, Sam. I can remember when I hurt my knee in college and I got surgery and I woke up in a cold room and, it, you know, I, I was by myself. It was, it was just me. And those are realizations that come to light right in front of your eyes that this is where I'm at. And in the dark days of going through the treatment and you got good days and you got bad days and you go forward two steps and backward three steps and all these things. And for a young guy, we got to think that, you know, he went through high school, uh, probably 30 games, and then he got six games in college. And you know what? Uh, people give a lot of credit to Coach Popovich and the, the staff about taking care of the players and, and putting those players first and making sure. And that's what that's the culture that the Kings are building right now. And they're taking a young asset that's 19 years old that that's had some problems with his knees, but he has an incredible upside and trying to initiate him into the NBA in the right way because he pretty much skipped over college, even though he kind of was there, but he's not really. And all of a sudden you pair the injury with 82 plus another six in the preseason. And that could be a serious shock to the system. So the fact that they're bringing him along slowly, they're making sure that he is trained the right way. Is that going to ensure that he never has any problems? No, it's not, but it's going to give him the best chance for success. And, you pair that also, him with the fact that they have the ability to do that because they have a Zebo, they have a Willie Cauley-Stein, they have a Costa Cucas and a Scow and all these players at that position, then not only is he going to get the benefit of learning from a Zebo who doesn't jump off the floor high, but he's going to show him that, look, young man, you can use your athleticism as a weapon instead of using it as the only weapon and this is how you play the game. So there's so many benefits to doing what they did and bringing him along slowly and making sure that he is the best version of himself that he can be. That's going to give him confidence. Uh, he's going to get an incredible skill set, a lot of training and coaching that he hasn't had before. So I think well done by the Kings. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's going to be interesting because the Kings are going to be fighting themselves the whole time because they're going to want to get this kid on the floor. Uh, he's going to be allowed to practice, which is really strange because you don't usually see it this way. But the way that I've been explained is that, look, we can't control the variables once he steps on an NBA court. I mean, we saw it the other night with Portland, with uh, with Nurkic, you know, throwing people around, popping people. Uh, you know, he got popped by Jack Cooley. Um, you know, it, once the game is on and it's a battle, it's different than being behind the scenes with your teammates and going at each other hard in practice, but it not quite being the same, you know, battle that you're facing on an NBA court. And and especially it's your opponent doesn't have to take it easy. Your opponent doesn't have to look out and and make sure that you aren't, you know, going to land awkwardly or or do they they just have to play. 
and I think a lot of people are are confused by this, but to me, again, it's the right move. I think Harry Giles, he's just a breath of fresh air. People are going to love him. He's got a great personality. But if you want all of that, if you want to see him succeed and, and to be this superstar player, um, I was even in the locker room the other night, and he was dancing, and Costa Kufis said, hey, 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 none of that. And he was joking with him, but he said, hey, look, man, I want to tell my kids that, that you are my rookie, that, you know, that 10-time that All-Star who's going in the Hall of Fame, he was my rookie, and look at him now. He's like, so enough of that dancing. I don't want to see you slip and, and do something silly. And it's I think that the Kings, the team, is pulling for him as well. The players can see how gifted he is, but they also know that, like, look, there's no reason to rush this because we got you covered. We got you covered until you're ready to play, and, and I think it's a good thing for everybody involved. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, no sissy roll in the locker room for him. Let's keep those knees under wraps until <laughs> it's time to take the plastic off of that thing and let it go. Uh, incredible personality, uh, a great kid, and I I'm wishing nothing but the best. And, and you're right, every man from Pete Youngman to Manny to the strength coaches, to everyone is rooting for him. So he, he has all of the things that you need to, to be successful, and they're going to put him in the right place. That's right. Okay, so let's get, take care of a couple other business things before we get out of here. Uh, the Sacramento Kings uh, waived Marcus Williams this week. Um, whether he ends up with the Reno Bighorns or not, I'm not sure. He's been out of the NBA since 2010. Um, and the Kings brought him in because they saw all of these back-to-backs and knew that they were going to need somebody because they were going to shut down George Hill and not have him play. Uh, you know, all of these minutes in preseason, and they, they wanted a veteran there to help out. Uh, secondly, the Kings signed Reggie Hearn, and they signed uh, David Stockton. This is like the 47th time David Stockton has been uh, part of the Sacramento Kings organization through their uh, either training camp or G League. He's a great kid. He can really, really pass the ball. Uh, when he was with the D League a couple of years ago with the Kings, he could shoot the lights out as well. He averaged over 20 points a game, shooting three after three. Uh, he was an absolutely spectacular person for the Grinnell offense that they had going then. Um, but, Doug, the reason why teams do this stuff, it's it's so they can allocute them to their G League teams. So while I don't expect Hearn or David Stockton to make an appearance between now and, and opening night, they might. I mean, they may steal some minutes uh, against against the Golden State Warriors on Friday night. But realistically, this is more about having the right people to go play for your your G League team to complement Papianis or or Malachi or if Justin Jackson goes up there or, you know, one of the other young kings, if they end up in in Reno, that's why you bring on these guys. And when you sign a guy for training camp, um, you can give them a, a, a signing bonus. You can give them a little bit of money for showing up and being part of training camp. And so they get to take that money with them when they go up and play for the G League team. There's no way. The Kings have a 15-man roster that's completely full and two two-way players. So they have a 17-man roster. There's no way that uh, Hearn or, or uh, Stockton are going to pop in and make this team. So it, it's just a uh, sort of... Uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's a transactional issue that they're trying to take care of so they have these guys for Reno. And they're going to go hang out with your guy, uh, Derek Martin, up there. What do you think of Derek Martin as that G League coach? 
Yeah, you know, this is uh, this is the business of basketball, and it is the ability for Reno to mirror the Kings and, and, and do things the same way. And you speak of Derek Martin. Derek Martin was my teammate. He was around with myself and, and Bobby and, and Vlade and Peja. So he understands the culture. So when they're in the room and they're talking and Vlade's trying to get a, a point across about what he expects to see and what Coach Yeager wants and how they want things done, it, it, I think it's a, a lot easier for for Derek to take that and process it because he was involved in the movement that we had that they are trying to get back here as far as the culture base of what they expect of good basketball and playing the right way and all of those different things. Everything that I saw in Derek has, has been fantastic. I've seen him work out some guys. I've seen him work with some guys. Uh, I know he's going to put the time in. And it, it, it's just good that, that you have things that are running parallel like that and you don't have a, you know, your farm system, for lack of a better term, isn't running the same stuff that your big league is because you want them so that when those guys do come up, the terminology is the same. The, the experience, without, with the exception of it being the G League as opposed to the NBA, is pretty much the same. Yeah. All right. That makes perfect sense to All me, right. Doug. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the uh, NBC Sports Kings Insider Podcast. Uh, Doug and I will be back next week. We'll have another guest, and uh, we'll we'll riff. You know, we forgot to take your questions this week, so let's make sure that... Oh, uh, come on, that, Hey, Doug, you and I both, we need to tweet out, hey, you know, give us some questions. So uh, we'll, definitely, we'll get to some of your questions. I'm all but... over you. <laughs> we, uh, we did answer a lot of the questions that you guys had for a Facebook Live show that I did on Wednesday. Uh, a lot of that stuff we've yeah. kind of gone over again, and so you're getting a lot of that information. Um, opening night, Doug, it's just around the corner. What, what do we got, Wednesday? Yay, yay! Wednesday, Wednesday, Houston Rockets versus Sacramento Kings at Golden One Center. Doug and I will be there with uh, Jim Cosimore. We will be doing pre and post with Jim Cosimore. Uh, Can't wait to see everybody. Make sure to stop by and say hi to us at the NBC Sports California Kings set. Uh, And that's going to do it. For Doug Christie, I am James Hamm. We'll see you next week. Thank you.